And so today what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a lesson. We've been talking about the children of Israel, um, you know, coming out of the land of Egypt. Of course, that's a picture of the salvation. Um, when they crossed the Red Sea, that's a, uh, that's a time where they actually understood that they were delivered. Uh, and that's where the first song was sung on the other side of the Red Sea. The wilderness wanderings are really just a prep- preparation ground for the Lord to prepare Israel for the promised land. And so there are many lessons that God gave Israel that if they would just learn from it, uh, he knew by the time they would get to Kadesh Barnea or to the border of the promised land, they would have been prepared. But there's one thing that a person cannot teach you, and that is your own faith. you you got to make your own choice, amen? I mean, I can give you all the information in the world it's not going to affect you unless you allow it to build your faith, unless you trust it step by step. And uh, that's how faith works. Uh, one preacher said, some things uh, are taught, some things have to be caught. And uh, that's so true. Uh, you know, you wonder sometimes one person sitting in the church service, they're getting nothing, they're bored. That person sitting on this side just eating it all up and growing and on fire for God. Uh, and this person blames the preacher, <laughs> and this one loves the preacher, <laughs> and so it's amazing how that works, but really the, the first step is to realize who the real culprit is, and that's within ourselves. Uh, that's, that's what's going to limit you, or that's what's going to make you more powerful for the Lord, is your own personal decisions, your own accountability for your decisions as well. So today I want to do a lesson. Uh, we've been looking at Israel uh, now, third month into the year. They're at Mount Sinai, and uh, last week, last couple of weeks, we've been talking about that holy mount, how that Moses uh, went up to the mount, and God said he was going to come down to meet with the people, and uh, what an amazing situation. I got a few more things I want to give you about that uh, today. You know, um, this law, this mountain was very symbolic, especially for the uh, children of Israel. It is for us today as well, because we learn about God, and that's what the most important thing is, is that what you're doing is you're, you're learning about Him. Think about Israel. They didn't know God. They were in 400 years in bondage. They didn't know exactly, they, they don't know who He was. They understood that he, they, you know, God visited Abraham. They probably heard of the covenant uh, that He made with Abraham, but they didn't know God the way that they were going to know God. And that's what Moses, that's what God told Moses, because he was wondering, why, why aren't you getting these people out of here? It's just getting worse. They're putting more pressure on us. And he says, well, because I want them to know me by my name, Jehovah. And they have not known me by that name. And so throughout the wilderness wanderings, what you're really getting is a side of the Lord. Uh, you're, you're getting to know him as Jehovah, not just Almighty, not just Elohim, the creator of the world but you're getting to know him as the provider, the one that is self-existent, the one that can take care of you through all the trials of life so that when you get into the promised land, when you get into the will of God for your life, that you will continue on in those battles because you know you have the victory, amen? And that's the biggest thing about this. Uh, Nehemiah, way up the road here at the end of the, New, at, at the, end of the Old Testament, Nehemiah 9.13 says, Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, and spakest with them from heaven, and gavest them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And uh, so what we need to understand here, we're going to learn about the law of God. Now, the law of God was not given to Israel to save them. They were saved before. They were saved when they were 
released from Egypt. That's where the blood was applied. Uh, that's where they were given the victory. But now, uh, three months afterwards at Sinai, they're given the law. Now, this has a different purpose, and God made very clear to us what that purpose was in Exodus 19, uh, I forget the exact, um, uh, 2 to 7, where he goes, calls Moses and says, I want to make you a peculiar people, a kingdom of priests, amen? So basically, his desire is not just to save us, but he's got a very specific purpose for us, but in order for us to be peculiar to God and different from the world, there's a certain standard that God has established for his people. It's not there to save you, but it is there to make you different. <laughs> Amen. And by the way, if they wouldn't have got this standard from God, they wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't have known how to handle situations. Uh, they would have just fallen into the trap of, oh, well, to each his own. But that's not what God said. There's a very specific standard that God was requiring of Israel. I was thinking about that this week, and I was talking to somebody, I think my brother, and the law at this point was given to the children of Israel to give them the standard of living. The only problem is they didn't have the ability to live that standard because they didn't have the indwelling of the Spirit of God. See, the only one that fulfilled the law was Jesus Christ himself. Not a man on this planet has. You've all failed. Amen. So if you wanted to meet God by the law, I'm sorry, you just wouldn't meet him. You'd have to go to the place called hell. But you know, the law is still good, the Bible says. And Jesus Christ came and he fulfilled it 100%. So in order for me to, to fulfill the law of God, I'm not going to follow a bunch of rules. I'm going to become like Christ. See, when we become Christ-like, that's when the laws become fulfilled because he's the only one that, that has fulfilled the law. And in order for you to be Christ-like, you have to be born again. <laughs> you have to be regenerated. You have to have his spirit inside of you. Amen. So following a bunch of rules to change your behavior doesn't do it. What we need is what our, our topic is for this or our theme is for this year to be transformed by the renewing of the mind, uh, by Christ internally, not externally. Amen. What we call that when people just try to change externally, we call that just confirmation. They're just trying to conform themselves to the Christian life. Now, I know we're supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ, but the fact of the matter is it, there must be first an internal change, a renewal, and the transformation is automatic. If you're struggling with your behavior externally, it's because you're struggling with your walk with God internally. That's what it's, that's what it's about. Because all you're trying to do is, I'm going to try to behave right, I'm trying to do right, well, you can do that, but you're, you're going to fail, just like Israel did. It has to be an inner, inner change that you have to go through. And so here I've got listed a bunch of the, uh, um, <laughs> a bunch of the, uh, the times at Moses. Now, when they went to Mount Sinai, Moses actually spent a lot of time climbing up that mountain. You know, I mean, if you watch the movie, he only went up once, <laughs> you know. But in all reality, scripturally, truthfully, he had eight trips to the top of that mountain. Eight trips. And if you look at it, I just want you to see this because to me this is interesting. Because this wasn't just a, oh, come up on the mountain and we'll give you the law. This was a series of events that God showed himself to Israel so that he could bring them to an understanding 
you got to know who you're dealing with here. <laughs> this isn't just, I'm not playing around. And so I want to just share these with you as we go through this very quickly. Number one, the first ascent we see in Exodus 19.2, that's where the Lord calls Moses up and he's offering a covenant. And this is the Mosaic covenant. He's saying, I'm offering this to you so that you can be a peculiar people unto me. And so what does Moses do? He takes that down to the people. And he says to the people, hey, this is what God told me. He wants to give you a covenant and he wants to make you a peculiar people, a kingdom of priests, uh, and he wants you to be very special on this earth for his honor, for his glory. And what do the people say? Yes, we will do that. Good answer. The Lord said that was a good answer. So what happens is he goes up again. Second ascent. Moses tells God the answer of the people. God tells him he will speak audibly to the people from a thick, dark cloud, so they will believe Moses as their leader. That was important to God. God wanted them to obey Moses, you see. The, why is the reason for that? Well, primarily because the Word of God, the first five books, are going to be written by Moses, amen? That's very important. And to this day, the children of Israel hold Moses on a very high degree because God authorized him and defended him and put him in that position where they would understand that, hey, what he writes is from the Lord. That's the same thing that happened in the New Testament when, when Jesus Christ authorized the apostles and the prophets to write the New Testament. He said, certain signs will follow after you. So there was always a supernatural verification and authorization of those that would be used to write the scripture. Amen? And that, my friend, was the most important reason why there were miracles in the New Testament. <laughs> now, the gift of tongues, that's another thing. That's because of the Gentiles being brought into the, the economy of the church and so forth. It was a sign as well. But most of the signs there were because of the apostles. Even Apostle Paul said that, that, I, that we did the, the signs of an apostle were done among you. That's because the Lord had verified it. So even signs and wonders are preceded by Scripture. You understand that? So somebody just can't stand up and say, I'm going to do a sign and wonder. I'd have to say, where in the Bible does it say that you should do that? And why should you do that? Amen? This isn't just about everybody just claiming his own and saying, I'm just going to do what I want. Even the apostles themselves were preceded by Scripture as far as their signs and wonders that they did, because it authorized them to, to be the bringers of the new covenant, the word of God, the, te the new testament, you see. That was very important. Otherwise, anybody could stand up and say, hey, I wrote this letter, <laughs> you know, accept that as scripture. Well, we know that wouldn't work with a spirit-filled church, amen? But anyways, so he wanted Moses to be uh, held up by the people, and so he's coming down to make that happen. Uh, number three, the third ascent, God commands Moses to tell the people to sanctify themselves against the third day when he will visit them. And on the third day, there were thunder, lightning, a thick cloud, and a very loud trumpet blast. Amen? And so God was making an impact here. Did he have to do all that? No. <laughs> in fact, you look at Isaiah, uh, it says how the Lord spoke to him in a still small voice. But yet, he did this for a, purpose, for a purpose, because he was giving his law, and he was establishing his leader, and he was also establishing his power 
and his holiness before the people. And that's why he said, don't come near the mountain, lest you be thrust through. You will die if you come close. And so he's establishing what boundaries meant and standards meant because they didn't understand that. Why would you unless you're taught? Amen. How would I know thou shalt not covet unless the Lord said? And that Mo, Paul even said that. How would I know that unless the law told me? Amen. And so you have to be told before you know. That's why I always tell parents, you know, don't discipline your kids for something you haven't told them not to do. <laughs> First you tell them not to do it, and then if they do it, knowing that you told them not to do it, then you can discipline them. But don't just discipline them because you're mad because they did something that they didn't know that you didn't want them to do. That's not how God operates. <laughs> he always first tells them. That's why even in the wilderness wanderings, how many times did he just say, okay, we'll move on from this, even though they were just wickedly rebellious. But it, there came a time where God says, okay, you should have known by now. Then he sent the, the serpents in to bite the people and the plague and so forth. But the first time they murmured, he didn't do that because they didn't know. They didn't understand God's requirements. Amen. The standard. And so, uh, number four, the fourth ascent, God summons Moses to make sure that the people do not draw near the mountain while his presence is on the mount. He also instructs Moses to bring Aaron with him up on the mount the next time. And so basically, uh, that's what happens. So he says, I'm going to come visit you. So he goes, tells the people, God's coming, three days, prepare yourself don't come at your wives, wash your clothes, be clean, be ready for the visit of the Lord. God calls them back up. Hey, you want to make sure you tell them to not draw near? He says, well, I already told them that. Tell them again. Tell them again. So he goes all the way to the top, comes back down just to tell them what he just told them. Why did God do that to him? Because he was establishing the importance of the standard and holiness of our God. Amen? So, Um, so at this point, in the fourth ascent, God audibly delivers the Ten Commandments to the people. So when God comes down, he actually verbally tells them before they actually had it on the tablets. Did you know that? In fact, Moses had the book of the commands before they had the tables of stone. The tables of stone were for a memorial to put inside the Ark of the Covenant, but they already had the law. Moses already wrote it. Amen. And so the people fear God. They tell Moses to speak to them rather than the Lord himself. So the Lord says, ah, there we go. Mission accomplished. <laughs> so the people didn't want God to speak to them personally. It's just too incredible, too powerful. Moses, you speak to us. And then God says, see, Moses, that's what I was wanting to take place. I want them to listen to you now. Because the word of God comes through the avenue of people. Through the writing of the word of God. Amen. Otherwise people say, well then God's got to come down the mount for me to listen. I'm not listening to you. Well that's not how God works. He uses people to deliver his word. Amen. And so the fifth ascent. Moses returns to Sinai and receives various laws by God. Along with a promise to bring Israel to the promised land on the fifth ascent. Um, the sixth ascent, Moses brings Aaron, Nadab. Now, the fourth and fifth, that could be the same one. Uh, a lot of people aren't quite sure, but many people say it was a separate climb, so that's why we say eight. Uh, six, 
Moses brings Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders to partially ascend the mountain, but they weren't all the way to the top. So they went halfway up the mountain. They stayed there, and this is kind of interesting. Uh, what happens then, Moses goes down, he builds an altar for the people, and he takes the blood, and he ratifies the covenant that the Lord had given him with the blood. And then he goes back up for the sixth ascent. So he brings the elders partially up. Joshua or Aaron, uh, Nadab, Abihu, we're all on the mountain. He goes back down, builds an altar, ratifies the covenant with the blood on the people, and then God calls him up to the top of the mountain. Now, what's this ascent? This is where he's going to get the, the tables of stone. All right? So it's quite interesting. So uh, he offered burnt offerings, fellowship offerings, read the book of the covenant to the people who responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we'll obey. Moses sprinkled the blood to ratify that. After that ceremony, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the elders ascend the mountain where they saw God uh, with something like pavement underneath his feet, Exodus 24.10. Uh, they actually saw God and they said, and we lived. Amen. But God calls them up further. God commands Moses to come up the mount all the way where he'll give them the law on the tables, on the tables of stone. Uh, the cloud comes on top of the mountain for six days. Moses waits. On the seventh day, God says, enter the cloud. And Moses went into the cloud to the top of the mountain. There he spent 40 days, 40 nights. And that's when the people apostatized. That's, see, they already had the covenant. They already knew. And so they knew the truth. And they turned away from the truth. They apostatized. That's what an apostate is. <laughs> Amen. And so that's when Moses came back down again. So the seventh ascent is Moses going back up to intercede on behalf of the people. And he offers his own life for Israel. And God just says, I'll blot out of the book those that sin against me. Moses, I'm not taking your deal. <laughs> you know, But he did listen to his intercession. And so Moses was the interceder during this ascent. Then he goes back up again. Moses is called back to God to chisel a new set because he broke the commandments, right? Remember that, the tables of stone. But now he says, now you're going to chisel them. <laughs> you, know, you broke them, you fix them. And so Moses is called back to God to chisel a new set of tablets for Israel for 40 days, 40 nights once again. He sees God's glory during this visit. His face shines. And when he returns, he puts the veil over his face as he meets the people because he doesn't want to blow their mind. <laughs> Amen. And so and we see, read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 to get some insight into the New Testament in relation to that glowing, to the glory of God. That's a whole new lesson, and I love teaching it, but I can't do it right now. Amen? So, the Mosaic Law, that's what we're looking at here. The Mosaic Law was a standard for Israel to live by that would reflect God's holiness and cause them to be different than the other nations. This is an important principle. We're living in a time where Christians believe that we need to be like them to reach them. And God just said, no, you were like them. I saved you to stop being like them. I pulled you out of the world. I pulled you out to be different. What communion hath light with darkness? The temple of God with idols, amen? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you see. And so... God wanted Israel to be different, so when he brought them into the land, they would be a light 
to the other Gentiles so that they could be saved. Because God loved the whole world. He wanted them to be saved through Israel's witness. But in order for them to be effective witness, they had to show a different life. Not the same as the world. And so folks, you need to understand that same principle carries over to the church. We can't just say, let's let the world in, let's be like the world, and we're going to reach the world. You will fail. In fact, they will reach you far more than you'll reach them. You see, we're supposed to be different. We're also that other group that was called the peculiar people before the Lord. Amen? And so we will have the laws of God. Uh, These moral laws we're going to talk about, it's not the ceremonial. We can't, of course... Uh, institute the civil laws into our government because they just won't do it. <laughs> Amen. Uh, maybe there'll be some partial principles that they go by. But you can be fair. You can adjust yourself personally to reflect the fairness and justice of God. Amen. That's what it's all about anyways. The church is supposed to operate that way. We're not supposed to have false witnesses or false reports and things like that. We're not supposed to move the ancient landmarks and take more than what's ours. <laughs> Amen. Uh, all these different things that, that, that apply to the civil law of Israel can be applied to the personal Christian life. But the moral law does not change. So the moral law today is just as applicable to you as it was to Israel. See, what the devil has done is confuse the church because we think that the moral law was given to Israel to save them. It wasn't. You see, it was given to them the same reason it's given to you. To show you who God is And then to show you how you are not like God, (laughs) amen, how far off you are of him. But then also, think about this, the third month of that first year is when Pentecost was, when Jesus Christ gave his life upon Calvary, same time of the year. So Sinai was the first Pentecost. It was demanding a change from God's people, but the thing is, they couldn't change, what were they missing? the indwelling of the Spirit of God. So now many years later, after Jesus Christ dies on the cross, and that all these feasts that are given to Israel, you think, oh, that's just Israel. No, they're there for our learning. We need to learn from it because those feasts are telling us the timetable of how God is working in the world. You see, that first Passover uh, feast and so forth, and then the wave offering at the end of that week, That's a picture of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that Sunday, they did the wave offering. (laughs) When Jesus rose from the grave, it was an Old Testament uh, ceremony that took place. And now because of that, the rest of the crop was accepted based upon the initial acceptation of that first offering of that sheath of wheat that was weighed before the Lord. So based upon the acceptation of the first fruits of the harvest, All the harvest is acceptable to God. Do you understand that? And so on the day of Pentecost, 50, Penta, 50, 50 days after the wave offering, the Holy Spirit of God came to indwell the church. This is the second Pentecost. The first one was Sinai. (laughs) That one failed. Why? Because the people couldn't change their heart. That's why God says, I'm going I'm to disannul the covenant that I gave to you on the mount. So he says, I'm going to take that one away. I'm going to give you a new covenant. Or I'm going to write my law upon your heart. And that's going to happen at the end of the tribulation week. Amen? But like I tell people, we got that now. <laughs> 
that covenant, we've already entered, entered into that covenant. We have that indwelling the Spirit of God. We can fulfill the righteousness of God on earth as we allow Christ to live through us. Amen? Very important to understand this. And that's why I'm spending so much time just really <laughs> hitting this. And so the Mosaic Law was a standard for Israel to live uh, that would reflect God's holiness, cause them to be different than the other nations. Salvation had already taken place when the Lord delivered Israel from Egypt. Um, mankind fails to fulfill the law without Christ. We know that. The Mosaic Law was given in three divisions. The Moral Law, the Civil Law, which was the man-to-man government dealing with the everyday nastiness, amen. The Moral Law reflects God. The Civil Law is dealing with how do we govern the people. The Ceremonial Law is there because we fail on these two. So he says, in order for us, for me to help you here, we need to add this third division of the law, and that's the ceremonial law. Because God says, in order for me to look at you in the eye, I have to look at you through my son's sacrifice. And if my son's sacrifice isn't there, I just want to squash you like a bug. That's why he's like a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's why God doesn't send you to hell the moment you're born. (laughs) That's why he's given you the opportunity to be saved. That's why he's not allowed his wrath to fall down on you while we are yet alive if you're lost. Amen? That's why the rain falls on the just and the unjust. (laughs) The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Amen? And so basically that's it. That's ceremonial law. See, it was there their trust in what God had said in his word that imputed to them the righteousness that they needed in order for God not to bring his wrath down upon them. See, without that ceremonial law, they wouldn't have known the death. They wouldn't have known the sacrifice that Jesus Christ was going to do for them in the thousands of years ahead. But to the Father, to him it already happened like a lamb slain before the foundation. He says, I'm just giving you pictures of what I already see. Abel, take that lamb and kill it. I'll tell you why. Because my son has already died for you, and I want to show you what that looks like. Abel says, oh, I'm going to do that. He says, yeah, I know, because you believe me. Because you believe me, it's accounted to you for righteousness. So they're not saved by their works. They're saved by their faith. <laughs> Amen. They just didn't have all the information. <laughs> We have it all, (laughs) or all that we need anyways. So Jesus fulfilled all these three divisions. Morally, God, he fulfilled that 100%. Civilly, there's nothing he did that was wrong. Even traveling on the Sabbath, he never once broke the law while he was on the earth. It's interesting. If you look at his life, you'll see that the, the Pharisees always trying to trick him up. You see, they thought that he broke the law, but he didn't because he wrote it. He knew it. Oh, you're picking corn on the Sabbath day. Well, look at that. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember. That's the law. Now we'll get there. So uh, this is going to be at least two or three weeks this lesson, by the way. All right, Deuteronomy 4, 1 to 14 says, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, 
that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. The land is the will of God. It's a picture of the will of God for your life. You cannot do the will of God unless you're going to be obedient to the word of God. It says, you shall not add, uh, add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that follow Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, Moses is talking here, that you should do so in the land where, whither you go to possess it. So he gave them these laws so that when they enter into the land, they could flesh out these laws before the world. They'd be in the boundaries of their nation. See, now they really didn't have boundaries yet. They really didn't have a testimony before the people yet. But he says, I'm giving you these laws so that when you go into the land, you can obey them. Interesting, amen? It says, for what nation is there so great who God hath so nigh, who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God it is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb. Horeb is just another word for Sinai. When the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live upon the earth, that they may teach their children. And ye came near, and stood under the mountain. And the mountain burned with fire under the midst of heaven with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness. And the Lord spake uh, unto you, Out of the midst of the fire ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude, only ye heard a voice." And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, even ten commandments, and he wrote them upon two tables of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might do them in the land whither you go over to possess it. Amen? Because that land was a special place. Not just so they could go have good food and they'd have a great time. The land was supposed to give them the platform so they could reach the world. That's what it was. Israel had the boundaries of the land. We have the boundaries of the local church. That's why I don't believe in the universal church. <laughs> no boundaries. That, you might as well be wandering in the wilderness. That's what it is. A lot of these Christians that are out there saying, I'm just a part of the church, the big invisible church, the big blob of a church, you can't really, dis you're just wandering because you're not in the boundaries, you understand. But they feel real spiritual. Remember I had a, an evangelist tell me, yeah, I just flow through the body. I said, well, you surely won't be preaching behind this pulpit because I don't want no body flowers around here. <laughs> Amen. What I want somebody here is someone that understands the boundaries of this particular church. Someone that is able to help the families of this church to become the light that they're supposed to be to the, to the world around them. Not so you can go flow through the body, 
unhindered, <laughs> you know? My goodness, no responsibility. Uh, how, do you, how do you discipline someone in the universal church? I mean, tell you, I don't know who's in charge of that, but they got to be pretty busy. You can't have anybody in charge of that. It's impossible. Impossible. There's no way you can be accountable within the local church. And that's why many times people like that idea. No accountability. Nobody tell me what to do. No preacher spitting in my face here from the pulpit. You know? Doesn't exist, my friend. Local New Testament churches. Boundaries, just like Israel had boundaries. They had, to, they had to shine within those boundaries, and you have to shine within these boundaries. That's why, folks, you be very careful. Do you understand the, the pressure that the devil's putting on you to be a bad testimony within the boundaries of this local church? And if you do that, you know you have failed God? Just as much as those that have bowed down to Baal within the boundaries of, of Israel. We have to stand for righteousness. Amen? You get what I'm saying here? I'm not freaking you out, am I? <laughs> Hope I am. <laughs> no. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Think not I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. Everything they said is going to happen, it's going to happen through me. And all the things that should be done will be done through me. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Amen. Galatians 2.20 says this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's telling me what to do. He's taking his perfect faith and guiding my steps day by day by day. And he's living his life through me because I have died to myself. I am crucified, but I'm living. But it's not really me that's living. It's Christ living through me because I've chosen to follow his faith day by day by day. But listen to the next verse. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Wow. <laughs> what he's saying is this. If you think all you need is a law to fulfill righteousness, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. <laughs> then he died in vain. But if you believe that you fail the law because of your inadequacy the ability to fulfill it internally because you just don't have it there's nothing you have that has the ability to follow god faithfully you can't do it there's none that do with good no not one and that's why jesus christ had to come so that he could start on the inside and work out amen had to happen that way he doesn't start on the outside and work in well, hopefully I'll start doing better. You'll start doing better when you start letting him live in you. Now, you may, he may be living in you, might be born again, but that doesn't mean that his presence in your spirit is infiltrating your soul. Because your soul has to be submissive and humble before God. You have to make a decision. Yes, Lord, I will do that. I submit to you. But if you've got your heels dug in, I don't care if you're born again, you'll never do what God asks you to do. You'll just be a carnal Christian all your life carnality soul 
is infected with sin and ungodliness while Jesus Christ is hidden in the spirit in your life. Yet he's knocking at your door. Let me in there, man. You know? But our pride and our rebellion and lack of submission and lack of humility before God, he, doesn't, he can't even use us. We're not willing to follow. And, and whenever someone brings a standard and say, oh, preacher says we got to do this, and who's he to tell me what to do? And blah, 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 blah. You know, I had someone recently, we had a member uh, in our first year here, I found out they were going to a specific church and the pastor called me. Do you know this person? I said, oh yeah, that's one of our members. <laughs> Haven't seen him in a couple of years. He says, really? I says, yeah. I said, hey, just teach him. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't want to mess it up now. But you know, he, he says, yeah, they stopped coming to church because they said you were a legalist. Now this preacher knows me. We've known each other for years. <laughs> and he told her, no, he's not a legalist. See, the reason it's illegal is because I had standards. See, I got standards for our Sunday school teachers. See, you bring your kids to Sunday school, the teachers have to abide by a life standard. Not just as they walk in the door. There's one ministry I saw where someone, they, was a, they were in charge of the, the kids' ministry, and they dressed very shabbily until they got in the door. They went in the bathroom and changed, when did the ministry, when they're done dealing with the kids, they went back and changed into their uh, immodest clothing, and then the kids saw them walk out the door. See, we don't do that here. See, anybody that's going to be teaching our children, it's not going to be a fly-by-night, you know, within a kilometer basis of, uh, you know, standard. It's going to be a life standard. This, this teacher is going to be able to tell you why they do what they do. This is why I believe it, and this is why I'm following it, and this is why I do it every day, not just a one kilometer within the church region. To me, that's hypocrisy. Like, I don't see that in Scripture. Do you? Only at church, I'm modest. No. You follow the Lord always. His eyes are forever over you. So we follow the standards of the local church because our local church isn't the boundaries of this wall. The local church is our body and wherever you are, you represent us. You on your job, you represent Ergy Baptist Church. You represent Christ. We want to reach this world. We're playing games with God. We're thinking somehow it doesn't matter if we've got boundaries in the land. We're just wandering in the wilderness. Well, I know all the laws. So did Israel before they got to the promised land. It didn't help them a bit until the people of the world had something to focus upon. You understand what I'm saying? Hope I'm not losing you here. I haven't even got to my blanks yet. Galatians 3.15 says this, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And so the, when, when, when God gave the covenant to Abraham, he always said, to thy seed, I, I promise these things. To thy seed uh, will multiply and so forth. And so you know that the promise 
isn't just to the physical line of Abraham. The promise is to the physical line through the spiritual line. Not to seeds as in many, but seeds as in one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it that the children of Israel don't have the land of promise right now? Why don't they have the whole boundaries of their land? Because they have not turned to Christ. The promises cannot come to fruition until they turn their heart to Christ. Because it's through that seed that the promises come. Do you understand that? There's no religion on this planet that can get anything from God but through Jesus Christ. No man come to the Father except by me. Amen? You think about that. Every promise that God made, Abraham, David, all these Old Testament prophets and saints, all those prophets are geared through Jesus to the people. That's why today you don't see David having eternal king on the throne. Where's your throne, David? (laughs) Israel, where's your king? (laughs) Oh, he's a-coming. He's a-coming, but you know what? The people of God have to turn to Christ. Then he will set up his earthly throne. Then the promise, the Davidic covenant will come to pass. Then the Abrahamic covenant will come to pass. Then the land covenant will come to pass. All of these things will come to pass the very day that Jesus sets his foot upon the Mall of Olives. Powerful, powerful. If you would see a graph of all the covenants starting and ending, one would start here, one would start here, one would start here, one would start here. Guess where they all end? Right there with Jesus Christ coming again in one moment of time. That's powerful truth. (laughs) And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. In other words, he's saying, just because I gave you the law on Sinai 400 years after Abraham got the initial promise, it doesn't disannul the promise. Because the Mosaic Covenant is conditional. The Abrahamic Covenant is unconditional. That's why the Lord's going to wipe out the Mosaic Covenant. I disannul it. It's gone. I got a new one that's unconditional. And he's going to write their law upon their hearts when he comes again. You understand that? So it says, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So what happened is, when the law came, they started getting in their heads because we're such a special people. We got these laws now that identify us with God, and we're the only ones that have it. So these are the things that save us. And the Pharisees, they began writing books after that law and telling people, oh yeah, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. That's what Galatians is all about, dealing with the Judaizers that were coming into the local church, trying to tell them to turn to the law in order to be saved. Amen? So he says, when, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. That means, hey, why would God have to say, Thou shalt not kill? Because you're murderers. Why would he have to tell you, thou shalt not commit adultery? Just in case one day you get an idea that it might be something you want to do? 
No, because he's like, you're all adulterers. You're all lawbreakers. The only thing is, you don't know it. You don't know it until I tell you. So the law was added because of transgressions. If there'd be no transgressions, you wouldn't even know what adultery was. And then he would have said, don't commit adultery. What's that? And you wouldn't know your whole life what it was. It would just be like some obscure thing. But oh no, the moment he gave it, they all knew what it was. Because <laughs> they were all transgressors. Glad it didn't disannul the promise. <laughs> Amen. So it goes on to say here, it was added because of the transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of the mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. There's that, there's that word again, faith of Jesus Christ. The promise is by the faith of Jesus Christ. Then it says that it might be given to them that believe. There's your faith. So you have his faith giving you the promise, your faith believing what he just said. That's what it's saying there. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. Shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore? The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. So the law, schoolmaster, was someone that took care of the children. Schoolmaster wasn't the teacher. The schoolmaster was the one that took care of the children and brought them to school and made sure they went to their lessons and, and organized all of that. The law took you by the hand and said, guess what, uh, you can't follow me. <laughs> you failed me. So I'm going to take you and bring you to one that is going to fix this. And he brings you to Christ. See, you're trying to go to heaven through the law. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. It's simply a schoolmaster that brings you to Jesus Christ. Because you found out, oh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Ooh. You mean never give a report of something that isn't true? Ever done that? Somebody asks, hey, were you involved with that? Oh, I wasn't there. Like Charles Russell, when they asked him, Hey, weren't you waiting for the turn of Christ on that bridge there in 1800? Well, it wasn't me. Yeah, he was there. People saw him. Eyewitnesses. It's a false report. You understand? Breaking the law. Waiting for Jesus. <laughs> oh, my. So, now I don't know if I want to get into all this. <laughs> we probably won't. But what I want to show you here with the rest of this, because I really want to lay a good foundation. I want you to get this. We're going to go through the law. I'm going to go through the Ten Commandments. And what I want you to understand is, we're not going through this because somehow you get saved through it. I'm trying, we're trying to expose ourselves to the fact that this is God's holiness. 
And when you start diving into these commands, it's a little deeper than you think. A little deeper than you think. Sometimes, well, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't. I think you'll find out how far away you really are in our base nature from God. And you'll be so grateful that you have Christ. Because you have failed. Amen. Over and over and over. So God is very gracious. But at the same time, we don't then look at the law and say, oh, well, it just brought me to Christ, so now I can just go and do what I want. No, no. Now that you got Christ and received salvation by grace, the Bible says that same grace that appeareth to all men teaches us to deny ungodliness. See, the same engine that God put in you to save you is the same engine that's going to make you live right. But he had to put it inside of you. Do you understand? The grace of God isn't the license to sin. The grace of God is the ability to keep the law. But not the law that's written on stone. The law that's written on your heart, in your spirit, by God himself. And he works through you. Have you ever done something... For me, sometimes, I remember I heard this one testimony, this one uh, preacher, he was, a, uh, he was a heroin addict. He was just really messed up. The Lord saved him. He gave his life to Christ. He, he became, uh, I don't know if you know Steve Currington. He's the head of um, Reformers Unanimous. So he helped many people get off of drugs. And he came up with a lot of, I read a lot of his books. I got a lot of his books. Um, but it was very powerful but his real emphasis was in dealing with someone that's on drugs is really just discipleship. <laughs> it's really just helping somebody understand what it means to live a Holy Spirit-filled life. And he was giving this one example how he went to the store and he got a bunch of stuff. He had it in his arms and then he was walking down the aisle and he picked something up and he was, you know, <laughs> and also he changed, oh, I don't really need this. And he had his arms all full and Okay, he just took it and just put it in a different shelf. You know, I'm on my way out. I mean, they got guys that put this back where it's supposed to be. He said, I walked about a lane further, and the Holy Spirit just said to me, what did you just do? And he, with his arm full, walked back there, picked up that thing that he put on the shelf, walked all the way back to where he got it from, put it back where it should be, he lived a spirit-filled life. See, God doesn't want you reading a tablet. He wants you through the intuition of the Spirit of God in your heart to be able to know what to do. That's the Christian life. Amen? And when you get on this saying, well, you show me where it's wrong, you're already proving how far you're away from God. You show me, you tell me I got to be to church three times a week. If I got to explain that to you, you're still step number one of being a Christian. Remember, I told you about the time where I, my first ministry, I was saying, God, show me a passage where I can tell, command people to come to church. Thou shalt. <laughs> I couldn't find one. And I, and I understand all the passages forsake not the assembly of yourselves together and man of some is but people you know they oh well this means that you know thou shalt go to church and there wasn't one 
Then the Lord just said, let me explain to you why. Or he, he said to me, you figure out why. So I gave my heart to figuring out why. And he showed me. Sunday morning, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Since that day, Christians met on a Sunday. Not just out of a commemoration, but because that day liberty was given to mankind. Where now the law has no more hold over you. You have been set free. Death has been defeated. You see, if you're still on the have-to Christianity, do I have to? You show me whether I have to, and I only do what I have to, and what I don't have to do, I'm not going to do, but you got to show me in the table of stone what I have to do. All I really need to do is point you to Jesus. Say, look at him for a while, then ask what you have to do. It won't be long when you pierce into his eyes and his hands, where something's going to well up in your heart and your have-to is going to dissolve away and you know what's going to come there instead? I get to. Oh, I get to worship him on Sunday. I get to be with the people of God. I get to hear his precious word. I get to sing the hymns with the people of God. I get to do things. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose victoriously from the grave. Amen. Please don't be a have-to Christian. You're a wilderness wanderer. Where do we go now? Well, let's keep following that fire <laughs> cloud. You know, you haven't learned your lessons yet. <laughs> See, that's why that Jordan River crossing was so important. That was death to self. That was saying, you know what? We made the mistake the first time 40 years ago. We didn't cross this river because we wouldn't believe God. We're doing what we thought was reasonable out of fear. But now what we're going to do is we're going to die to that. We're going to live by faith. We're going to believe all the lessons that the Lord has taught us over the last 40 years and the couple of years before that in the wilderness. And we're just going to cross over trusting that he is going to bowl over these enemies for us, giants and all. And don't you love it that Caleb was just ready to go 80 years old? 40, he was 40 the first crossing, and he had to wait another 40 years. At 80 years old, the Bible says his strength was exactly the same as 40 years earlier. And he was just like this, Joshua, <laughs> we're going in today. I just want to let you know something. That big giant over there, I want that one. The biggest, ugliest giant, I'll take him. The biggest cities, the hardest ones to defeat, I want them. Because I'm going to show all these little whippersnappers whose parents died in the wilderness that the God that we've been talking about for the last 40 years that would have brought us in, he is well alive and able to take us in, even being 80 years old. Wow. You know, his son-in-law was the first judge of Israel? Caleb's. Why was that? Because he wouldn't let his daughter marry anybody else. He says, if anybody goes and take that city over there, I'll let him marry my daughter. If anybody will be a man of God and a man of faith, 
and trust God. They're the ones I want to marry my daughter. Othniel stood up. I'll do it. And he did it. Here's my daughter. <laughs> you know, after they got married, his daughter came to him. Dad, I like these springs down here. Can I have these, these nether springs here? Yeah. Say, why is that important? He had the springs to give. You know why he had them? Because he whooped the giants. So your kids come to you and they say, Hey, Dad, give me this. Oh, of course. See, that's the blessing of a faith-filled life. You'll have something to pass on to your kids. You'll have, you'll have a, a son-in-law that's a giant killer. Amen. Boy, I love that. That preaches right there. <laughs> Amen. Do you understand? That's the promised land. That, that's the children of Israel. That's the boundaries. That's, that's what God wants to show himself strong through as we take up seriously our place in reflecting God to the world. Amen. And we'll get back to this next week. It's going to be a great study. I, I, I guarantee it. Amen.